are new to the city. You don't remember coming here. You're disoriented, off balance. It's neither day nor night. People begin to approach you. A faceless crowd whispering the tales from the canyons of the damned. Hello, I'm Jason Lavelle. I am a novelist and contributing author for Tales from the Canyons of the Damned. Every month, the Canyons Anthology brings a slightly disturbed group of talented artists together in one place for readers around the world to enjoy. Tonight, I'm going to read you a story by an author who is more than just slightly disturbed. His name is S. Elliot Brandis. Now, I've spoken with Elliot a few times, both chatting online and on a talk show I host called Spilling Ink. To talk with Elliot, you'd think he's a normal, soft-spoken, sweet guy. Then you read one of his stories and realize there's a psychopath manning the wheel, or keyboard, as it were. The story I'm going to read is called Inside of Me, and it is in every way possible a perfect and horrifying representation of Brandis' style. This is a horror story, or maybe it's science fiction, but wait, it's funny too, and that's why I love it. Brandis can not only tell a story, he can make you laugh, then gag, then slap a hand over your mouth while mumbling, holy shit. But I've talked enough about this story. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. For your listening pleasure, I present Inside of Me, written by S. Elliot Brandis, narrated by Jason Lavelle. Anything to declare? The customs officer looks at me with an expression that can only be described as vaguely awake. Her eyes are open, sure but her affect is so blunted I have to fight the urge to yawn. She wears a navy button-up shirt, dark trousers, and a dull expression. Judy, her name tag reads, the excitement of the capital letters entirely misplaced. Only my genius. What? Sorry, it's a joke. Wasn't it Dolly or somebody? Wild, maybe? I have nothing to declare but my genius. I flash a goofy smile. Judy takes a slow, deep breath. She looks me up and down with sunken eyes, the deep bags letting me know she's many hours into her shift and long over the human centipede of arrivals that march past her desk. My skin prickles at every place her eyes dwell. I probably look like shit. There's no way to avoid that. I've been in buses and planes and airports for at least 20 hours, probably 24 Cartagena to Medellin to Santiago to Auckland to Sydney. The signs of travel show all over my body. From the sweet-smelling tang of a t-shirt that has been worn too long, the fabric wetted and dried across various cycles, to the general chaos that is my hair and beard. I am tired to the point of delirium, and now I have to pretend to be normal so that I can re-enter my own country. Five more minutes... Then I can collapse. Oh, that's hilarious, she says. I've never heard that one before. I should write it down. The lack of inflection in her voice tells me that no, it's not hilarious. And she makes no moves to write anything down. Her sarcasm is drier than sex in an old folks' home. 
She holds out her hand and asks for my passport. I pass her my crumpled mess of a document. On one of the pages, there's an obvious vomit stain. I hope she doesn't turn to that one. You've been to some interesting places, she says. That's true. Sir, you're sweating. I haven't showered in more than a day. She processes this information, or at least I figure she does. There's no outward signs that suggest sentient life. She flips through my passport, licking her index finger between each page turn, before pressing it against a pad on the counter. The computer searches for my profile while we wait in silence. The noise of a thousand shuffling travelers fills the void. Somewhere, a baby is crying. Probably the same fucking kid that kept me awake the entirety of my last flight. Back to taunt me one final time. Did you pack your own bag? Yes. Place it up here. She slaps the table. I'm going to take a look. I wait while she searches through my backpack with blue-gloved fingers. They work their way through my stuff like methodical spiders, patting down every grimy t-shirt, fingering every last pungent sock. She places my laptop on the table, as though she might need it later, then looks up at me. I'm going to swab your bag. She pauses as though waiting for a response, but nothing in her inflection hints at it being a question. I shrug. That seems to be consent enough, for she clacks out a plastic wand and begins swiping the pad across the inside of my bag. When she's done, a scrawny guy comes over and takes it from her. She whispers something to him. He scurries off. What is the intention of your visit? It's not a visit. I was born here. Sir, no need to get snappy with me. I wasn't? Was I? I'm so tired I can barely control my thoughts, let alone the tone of my voice. God, I want to go to bed. Where am I even staying tonight? My heart drops. There's a sinking feeling in my gut from lack of sleep. It feels a lot like dread, heavy and foreboding. You've been to some high-risk countries. High risk for what? Narcotics. I sigh. The intention of my visit is to go to a funeral. There's been a death in the family. Then I'm returning to South America. My girlfriend is still there. This is an expensive and unexpected detour. The squirrely guy returns. He takes her to the side and talks in whispers. They look back at me, like those scenes in movies where a couple are mulling over a decision, the ones where they always end up saying, yes. For the first time, I see a spark of excitement in her eyes, signs of life. That's troubling. Custom officials never look excited, unless you're well and truly fucked. Sir... I'm going to need to ask you to come with me for the purposes of further questioning. I'm required to inform you that you're not under arrest at this current stage, but if you decline to cooperate, then I may request the federal police to do so. Do you understand? Not particularly. What's wrong? Your bag tested positive for cocaine. I rub my eyes. It's probably important to let you know that I am definitely not a drug smuggler. Hand on heart. Swear on Cthulhu's tentacles and testicles and all that is holy. But my bag has been in and out of hostile lockers for the past five months. 
And across that time, yes, I have encountered coke. Via Americans, mostly. They love that shit. Now, you might think that gringo backpackers and expensive habits wouldn't mix that well. But in Cartagena, an eight ball was going for about 20 bucks, less than $6 a gram. And that's the marked up tourist price. In Australia, a gram might cost upwards of $250. Or so I've heard. I understand, I say wearily. I have nothing to hide, ma'am. My body, however, seems to think otherwise. Blame the stress of traveling and the impending inescapable entry interview, or perhaps the two burly Australian Border Force officials walking over to escort me away to some godforsaken windowless room, but my stomach twists as though it's made of plasticine, squeezed through a cheap plastic toy. There's a sharp, stabbing pain deep in my gut. I wince. The officials notice. Seriously, fuck my body. Why have you forsaken me? I'm walked away from the customs clearance area. The eyes of every bored traveler follow me. There's nothing else to do while waiting in line, so I'm a spark of entertainment. They judge me. Who is this scruffy dude being escorted away? What has he done? I don't want to know what stories they're crafting in their minds. I'm entitled under the Australian Border Force Act to perform a frisk search, said the bigger and gruffer of the two officials. Do you understand? Unfortunately, yes. Is there anything on your person that may present a risk to me? Only my genius. What? Sorry, I shake my head. No, nothing. We enter a small room, and the second officer closes the door behind us. I'm asked to raise my arms. So I do. And we go through the demeaning exercise. His gloved hands pat down my body, checking my armpits, pockets, crotch, everything. Yes, they check the crotch. I always wondered if they did that. Now I know. My manhood recoils at the firm touch of his searching hands. My dignity leaves the building. Please take a seat. I comply. Your bag has tested positive for cocaine. Tell me about that. There's nothing to tell. I've been in a party town, you know, with beaches and tourists and a wild nightlife. My bag must have come into contact with something. That's all. Right. It dawns on me that my bag hasn't made the journey to the room with me. I imagine it's been whisked away to a separate location, where it is currently being subjected to the same level of scrutiny that I am. Bureaucrats in military-style uniforms would currently be tearing apart every last item. Not even joking. These Border Force Muppets have military-style ranks worn proudly on their sleeves. Once they were administrators, now they're commanders and lieutenants. That happened during the War on Terror, though they still go on strike when the Union pay deals get negotiated. I'm pretty sure the Army doesn't do that. And why are you returning to Australia at this time? To attend a funeral. Immediate family? No, they're all dead. Dead? I sighed. Yes. My parents died in a car crash when I was a kid. My grandma passed away a few months ago. That's basically it, as family goes. I'm sorry. You didn't do it. I pause, wondering if I should try to lighten the situation. Or did you? I'm sorry? Ugh, bad idea. Nothing. 
You told the officer outside that a family member had died. He looks at his partner, who offers a subtle nod. They think they're onto something. Who are you visiting, then? Visiting? Dude, it's a funeral. I smiled, hoping to diffuse the developing suspicion, but he says nothing, staring me down with a stern expression. Fine. Have it your way, guy. And you wonder why people are nervous around your kind. A teacher from high school. I know it sounds dumb, but she helped me through a really rough patch. Suicidal ideation and all that. I heard about it through Facebook, and I don't know. I owe it a lot to her. I had to be there. You flew halfway around the world, at cost of hundreds, possibly thousands of dollars, to go to the funeral of a high school teacher? Did you not listen to a word I just said? No need to be testy with me. You got testy with me. I take a deep breath. No two ways about it. This guy is a certified arsehole. Knowing this, everything about him begins to annoy me slightly more. He has light stubble with a sharp neckline that he shaved way too close to his jawline, and a cheekline that plunges too low. It makes it look like a strap that's been holding up his head. And those beady fucking eyes don't even get me started. Sir, your hands are shaking. I look down, and indeed they are. From a lack of sleep and my building frustrations, of course, but there's no point trying to explain any of that. Meanwhile, the second officer says nothing. He stands in the corner of the room by the door, watching over us. He has a small notepad, which he uses to take notes on everything. And I mean everything. If I so much as fart, it would make the record. He watches me over the rim of his glasses. Suspect is irritable, possibly experiencing withdrawals. I imagine that's the gist of what he's been scratching down at that very moment. I'm sorry, am I under arrest? Do I need a lawyer? I don't know. Do you? I don't even know what the fuck you guys do, to be honest. You went on strike over a salary dispute, while most of the country doesn't even think you should have a fucking job. Certainly not one with quasi-police powers. That's rich. And didn't a bunch of you dudes get busted for running a smuggling operation? I saw that in the paper not even a year ago. He clenches his jaw. I've hit a nerve. Oh why, oh why, did I hit a nerve? There's a knock on the door. A squirrel guy, the one from before, pokes his head into the room, whispering something to Notepad, a lecherous smile stretched across his face. He offers Chinstrap a thumbs up. That's right. Those are their names now. Deal with it. Sir, we have a warrant to perform a strip search. Oh, fuck. At least buy me dinner first. Seriously, fuck you, squirrel guy. Please remove your clothing, slowly, and place each item on the table one at a time. Failure to comply may result in your arrest on suspicion to smuggle illicit substance into the Commonwealth of Australia. This time, my stomach does a full Fosbury flop. It contorts as though it's alive, struggling to find a way out, sick of the unfolding situation. I hunch forward, fighting the pain as it contracts and knots. It feels as though fine points are being combed across my inside, digging into every fold of tissue, clouding my organs with scraped-off cells, sharp needles, claws. I fight the urge to vomit. I can't imagine that would help. Sir, are you okay? Give me a minute. Do you need medical attention? 
I take a long, steady breath. Slowly, the contractions slow. I know full well that they'll probably return again, twice as hard as my body pains tend to. But I don't want to drag this customs business out. I have nothing to hide, honestly. No, seriously. I'm being goddamn honest. So the quicker this is over, the quicker I can find a hotel. Then I can crawl up on the bed and whimper my way through the pain. It's better than having an audience. I'm good. I clear my throat and put on my best Seinfeld voice, which is terrible at best. What is the deal with aeroplane food, right? Please stand up and remove your clothing. Jesus, why is my fallback terrible humor? Is that what I do when I'm tired? As bad as airplane jokes are, I bet Jerry never got digitally compromised after telling one. I stand up and unbuckle my belt. The worst thing is, I realize I'm more worried about being naked than felt up. No, seriously, my heart rate picks up as I remove my shirt. It's the world's worst striptease show, yet the two officers watch every moment. I assume they need to, to make sure I don't try to stash anything away. But it's truly unnerving. In a moment, I'm standing there only in my underwear. And there's nothing worse than a pair of jocks that have been worn for more than one day. Undergarments, too. I slip them off. My dignity, also. This time, the quiet officer comes over. Notepad. He missed out on the frisk search, so it must be his turn to do the cavity one. What a prize for his patience. His fingers wander over my body, digging into my armpits in a surprisingly aggressive manner. Do people really hide shit in their armpits? He checks my junk with concerning thoroughness, going so far as to, no, I won't tell you. That's one step too far. Please squat. Um... Please squat down as though you're crouching. Sigh. My knees pop as I squat down. I never got to do a post-flight walk, so my legs are sore and tight. My cheeks part. Turns out I was wrong. I did have a little bit of dignity left. I know because I can feel it dissolving. Cough. Oh, there goes the last of it. I cough. Again, harder. No, wait. There's a little bit more. It comes in the form of a trumpet-like fart. Well, I don't know what he expected. Okay, stand here. He points to a spot on the ground and place both hands on the table. This is the bit they joke about in movies. Maybe I've lost my sense of humor now, too, but I don't particularly feel like laughing. In order to comply with his request, I have to lean forward to reach the table. I steady myself with my hands. He presses the top of his shoe against the inside of my leg, prompting me to widen my stance. Great. There's a momentary pause. He is, in no uncertain terms, applying a generous amount of lubricant to the index finger of his gloved right hand. I know this because I hear a disconcerting squirt. It's not much, but it's enough to conjure up a series of images in my mind. The rumble returns to my stomach. This will only take a moment, he says. I scream as his moist finger touches the inside of my buttocks. My stomach clenches hard, as though the fury of hell has been unleashed. My jaw clenches, too. Waves of pain ebb through me, emanating from deep within my gut. Sweat prickles on my face, which is now a bright shade of red. The room spins in frenzied circles. Sir, please relax. 
This will only hurt if you tense up. Think of something else. You see the cricket match the other night? No. Okay, what about the Socceroos game? That final goal was pretty exciting, yeah? I realize he's talking to distract me, like a doctor before delivering a shot to a child. I can feel his finger move back into position, but it means little against the backdrop of what's going on inside me. The pain descends to my intestines. It's as though a tarantula is scrambling through the folds and curls of my digestive tract, its hairy limbs and torso scraping against their inner membrane. Only instead of hair, it's needles and shards of glass. My vision goes womp-womp, womp-womp, as the pain enters my colon. Jesus H. fucking Christ. Bile rises in my throat. The next bit happens fast. His digit enters my anal sphincter, and the room fills with simultaneous screams. There's my scream, a reaction to the intense pain that bursts through my body, as though the walls of my colon have ripped in two, fracturing like a cherry bomb has gone off in there. And then there's the officer's scream, high and piercing. I look over my shoulder. He's holding his offending finger, the blue latex covered in red blood. What the fuck do you have in there? He screams. I try to stand up straight, but end up hunching over instead. The pain in my colon rises up in my body, a spiral that works its way through each and every intestinal fold. The room shakes. The officer's figure blurs as pins and needles prickle at the back of my head. I can't quite work out whether the blood on his finger is his or mine. Por que no los dos? Before I can ask, the blood-free officer, chin-strap, grabs me by the arm and leads me away. His other hand is on my shoulder, holding me firmly, but I know better than to struggle. The best I can hope for at this point is to not get a turn-a-blind eye beating in the hallway. I'm as limp as a rag doll, albeit with a bloodier anus, and a thousand times more naked. There's a sharp sting as something re-enters my stomach. It's a bizarre feeling having something wind the wrong way up your digestive system. I struggle to stand as it reorientates itself inside me, using my stomach lining to help it do so. It burns like an iron rod fresh out of the fire. Sweat cascades down my now pale face. There's something inside me, I gasp. The officer's grip tightens. It's a bit late for confessions. No, no, I mean there's something inside of me. I can feel it moving. He leads me out of the room and down a hall, where yet another officer is waiting. This one is a huge motherfucker, about the size of the last two combined. Not border force, but a mainstream cop. A pair of handcuffs dangle from his hammy fingers. I'm slammed against the wall. My wrists are cuffed behind my back. They're so tight that I can feel the blood struggling to pump its way through to my hands. My fingers tingle. Here's what we're going to do, the cop says. His voice is as gruff as his face is ugly. There's an ambulance on its way. For you and Johnson, whatever the fuck you did to him. You're going to sit down on the goddamn toilet until you shit out whatever the hell has jammed up your arsehole. And if you don't, I might happen to forget what goddamn room I left you in. You got that, junkie scum? He drags me into a small room. It's something from a dystopian nightmare. 
One entire wall is a two-way mirror, reflecting the view of a small aluminum toilet. Rather than being hooked up to the plumbing, it deposits directly into a transparent compartment, lockable and retractable. It's the world's worst safety deposit box. Shit goes in, and only an officer can get it back out. Charming. Sit down, Hamcop says. He doesn't give me any say in the matter. I'm forced to sit on the toilet. The aluminum seat is cold on my bare arse, as though they pre-iced the damn thing just to surprise me. My hands are still cuffed uncomfortably behind my back. To make matters worse, the cop pulls a second set through them, fixing the cuffs to a metal bar that runs behind the seat. I'm chained to the toilet. The cop leaves without saying another word. I'm assuming this is a power play. He's pleased with his earlier threats, and anything extra only risks diminishing the tone. Plus, there's plenty of his buddies standing behind the two-way mirror. I'm sure of it. It is literally a shit show. My heart sinks as I stare into the mirror. I want to picture the figures behind it, but all I can do is focus on the depressing image that's reflected back at me. I'm naked and frazzled. My eyes are sunken and bagged, my skin sinking and flushing, blotched and bruised from being manhandled and tossed. Even worse, there's a trail of blood that runs down the inside of my thigh, around the back of my calf, before reappearing at the front of my ankle. The deep, aching pain in my guts remain. Something else hits me. I can only describe it as sadness, but it's more than that. Dejection intermingled with grief. That stomach-churning fear that keeps you awake when you contemplate the inevitability of your own death. Ramped up by the fact that mine seems ever more close. I have lost control of my own body, in two senses. Restrained and possessed. I feel it's necessary at this point to reassure you that no, I am not a drug smuggler. There are no filled condoms jammed lovingly up my hidey hole, or baggies of pills, or anything else for that matter. And yes, I know full well that my excuse for being back in Australia may sound weak, but it's all true. When I was a near-suicidal teen, Miss Oakwood was the only adult there for me. My father laughed in my face when I told him I was depressed. My mom changed the topic of conversation back to herself. I lost 30 kilograms in six months, leaving me a barely functional human being, a twig man, hurting on the inside and fading on the outside. Despite the stark visibility of my struggles, the only person who heard my cry for help was Miss Oakwood. She saved my life, talked me down off the ledge, in a manner of speaking, and helped me to piece things back together. I owe her my life so it only seems reasonable that I'd be there to remember her in death. What the fuck are you crying for, pussy? It was Hamcop again. I hadn't noticed him re-enter the room, nor the tears streaming down my bleak face, coating my cheeks in sheets of misery. Open wide and say, ah. I do no such thing, but it doesn't matter. He forces my mouth open with heavy pressure on my jaw, pouring liquid into my mouth from a bottle. It's cloudy, chalky. I sputter. I'm force-fed that muck like a duck raised for forgra. Swallow, he says. This will help you shit. I gulp it down. I have no pride left at this point, anyway. 
I watch myself in the mirror as he leaves the room a second time. I have no way to dry my tears. I try wiping my face against my shoulder, but it's awkward and ineffective. My arms ache, protesting against the strange position they've been locked into. There's a rumble of gas through a coil of my insides. Oh, says the cop, lolling at the door. By the way. What? Happy Halloween. He flashes me a lecherous smile before shutting the door behind him. I hear the deadbolt rattle into place as he fumbles with the lock. I suppose he thinks this is funny. Laughter fills the room. It takes me a split second to realize that it's mine. I guess it really is funny. I finally found my sense of humor, worlds away from Wilde and Seinfeld. Either that or my personality has decided to diverge, leaving part of me to laugh at the predicament of the whole, while the rest of me dies in agony. Now that's comedy. Ugh. My cuffs rattle against the rail as I lurch forward violently, my stomach contracting. It feels as though the lining is tightened around a king crab, tearing as it presses against every jut and protuberance. The chalky taste of my force-fed dinner rises back into my mouth, mixed with the tang of acid and airplane food. Blump, blump, blurp. Liquids and gases rearrange themselves inside me. I feel as though half my body is liquefied, preparing itself for a rapid evacuation. I press my knees against my chest, feet hovering off the ground. Welling tears distort my vision. The laxative begins to work. That is the single nicest way I can describe what is happening. A more accurate way is this. My insides start to drop out of my arsehole, leaving my body a shell in the shape of a human. The remains of my tray table airplane food leave my body with such force that I can hear ringing in my ears. They splatter on the clear plastic surface of the shelf beneath me, painting it with browns and reds and flecks of yellow. My brain struggles to stay in my skull, the drawdown pressure sucking at every last piece of tissue within me. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Newton said that. He wasn't, however, considering it would ever be applied in a circumstance such as mine. As my liquefied insides abandon me, there is an almighty pain as something struggles to stay inside me, intensifying to match the velocity of my expulsions. It claws against the membranes of my digestive tract, hooking talons around various sphincters, latching on to any bump, fold, or valve within reach. My heart fills with a sinking dread, a pit of darkness. And I'm not being fucking metaphorical. There is literally something inside of me. It's fighting to stay there. This is not a drill. I scream. It feels as though my stomach has been torn into six different pieces, equally bloody and frayed. My lungs burn like fire. Maybe my imagination is a little too vivid, but I picture my digestive acids leaching into my chest cavity, dissolving my vital organs until I'm nothing but rum in a barrel, leaking out rapidly from a hole on the bottom. Jesus, will you keep it down, princess? I look up through watery eyes. It's the arsehole they interviewed me. Chin strap. Squirrel guy stands behind him, his eyes wider than his face should allow. Never seen a birth before? My voice is gritty and high, a strange combination. 
He walks over closely, squirrel shadowing him closely. Johnson has a lacerated index finger. The wound suggests a rough blade rather than a needle. So tell me, Boyo, what the fuck have you jammed up your passage? You might as well tell me before I sort through your muck. Nothing. He laughs. Your face would suggest otherwise. Those laxatives aren't pretty, but I've never seen anybody outright squeal before. Drugs I've seen. Think of a way to smuggle them, and I've seen it before. But blades? What the fuck are you playing at, kid? There's something inside me. Great. The truth. So, what exactly have you done? No, no. The acute pain has subsided, but the incessant burning and throbbing lingers. It's hard to breathe. There's something. I don't know. What? A goddamn creature or something. I feel like there's a scorpion the size of a crab scrabbling through my guts like they're a Halloween maze. Please, I need to go to hospital. I'm struck by a fit of coughing. At first it might seem an intentional ploy to illustrate my need for emergency attention, but the deep rattle in my lungs conveys an undeniable authenticity. Flecks of blood dust my naked body. Each cough is a red mist. Squirrel says, an ambulance is on its way. What Sergeant Timms is trying to say is, he flashes a nervous glance at Chinstrap, not wanting to undercut his authority, that, well, we need to know if there's anything in your medical history that would pose a risk to Johnson. You mean other than the fucking monster living in my arsehole? So, such as transmittable diseases, viral con... Fuck this, Chinstrap says. I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way. A man of his word, he steps forward, balls a fist, and pummels me squarely in the left cheekbone. The pain is nothing compared to the churning of what used to be my insides, but it still hurts. Pretty sure getting punched in the face always does. Tell us what unholy diseases you have, what the hell is or was inside of you, and what the fuck is wrong with you, or you're not getting out of this fucking room alive. Sir, you... Jam it, Nichols. I'll lock the door and throw away the goddamn key if I have to, you hear me? Yes, sir. He grabs me by the throat. I can feel the roughness of his calloused fingers even through the latex of his gloves. He compresses my windpipe with a vice-like grip. Ten seconds. I can't breathe. Worse, I can't even utter words to that effect. My protests come out as vague gargles. My cuffs chime against metal as I struggle. Even that calms once the haze descends. The room spins around me in blurry semicircles, swirling from right to left before skipping back and repeating over and over, like a broken VHS. There's a tingling sensation beneath my temples, whether real or imagined. I swear I can feel my brain shutting down, dying from a lack of oxygen, dissolving in a pool of acid and tainted blood. I'm not the only one that can feel it. As the room fades to black, there's action in my stomach. A sharp pain rolls through me, allowing me to hold on to consciousness for a moment more. My esophageal sphincter is forced to open, and something rises up my food pipe. It's a bizarre feeling, like having a lump in my throat, except that lump keeps climbing, stretching out my esophagus an inch at a time. Closer to a hose, really. It scrapes against the walls of my throat as it's fed through. 
Pinpricks dance on my tongue. Small claws. No, not even that. They're insectile, like the hard-shelled legs of a beetle, each with multiple ends. They scrabble across my mouth, assisting to pull through the extension of my throat, a leg or antennae or something worse. My spine shivers as the pricks nick my gums, scrape my teeth, and slip between the gaps, anything to win an extra inch. My lips begin to quiver. What the hell is that? the officer says. In my haze, I'd momentarily forgotten he was even there, gripping my neck tightly. I gaze at him with cloudy eyes. He says, There's something in your goddamn throat. Ugh, 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 is the only sound I can force through my lips. I'm not quite sure of the intended spelling, but the meaning is clear. Yes, sir, I can feel it too. I'm going to let go of you, he says, hands shaking, and back off slowly. Understand? And then I want you to tell me exactly what's going on. Exactly. No games. Chinstrap does exactly as he says. There's a rush of blood to my head as his fingers release. My arteries decompress. My heart fights to return blood flow through to my brain. The hit of oxygen is simultaneously euphoric and confusing. Time moves in slow motion. Each action takes an age. Here's how it goes. Officer Chinstrap takes a step back. My stomach expands as though being pressed outward by multiple fronts. No, not as though. That's exactly what happens. The feeler in my mouth retracts. It grows thicker in my throat, expanding in correlation to its diminishing length. Chinstrap's eyes grow wide. A button pops off his shirt. Two pains hit me. Sandpaper scratches across my throat, flaying the inner lining off my esophagus. My stomach drops, punched from the inside, down towards the rest of my guts. Wind is forced into my lungs as my diaphragm is sucked downwards. It spasms. I can't breathe. Again. The feeler springs from my mouth like a chameleon's tongue. It stabs the officer in the cheek, breaking through the flesh with surprising ease, burrowing through to his mouth, forcing itself down his throat, deeper and deeper. It slides through me like an endless chain of handkerchiefs, an old magician's trick. And then it lays its eggs. Yes, I'm interpreting here. But it pulses in waves, pushing bulbous lumps up from my stomach, through my throat, and out into his. They rise like chicken eggs squeezed through a rubber hose. How I imagine snake eggs might seem, had you partially swallowed the creature head first. Don't do that, by the way. If I sound a little whimsical at this point, blame it on the delirium. The world feels surreal. Sparks dance through my vision, and colors, even sounds. The world is a merry-go-round, and I'm on acid. Turn down the lights. It fades. I pass out. I regain consciousness in a bathroom cubicle. I have no memory of how I got here but I can't be far from where I was when I passed out because I'm still completely naked. The bruises on my wrist tell me that, unfortunately, I haven't awakened from a nightmare. It was all very much real. The burning pain along every inch of my digestional tract confirms that fact. And I mean every last inch. 
Use your imagination. There's a knock on the door. Hello? You okay in there? Fine, thank you. My voice is a gravelly mess. You've been in there ages, man. You sure you ain't need no help or nothing? I pay attention to the voice, which is hard to do through the ringing in my ears. It's young-sounding, with an informal tone. I lean to my right, still sitting on the toilet, and try to get a glimpse through the gap in the door. I catch a sliver of vision reflected back from the mirror above the sink. Whoever he is, he's wearing a visor and an ill-fitting polo shirt. Janitor, maybe. Or an employee at one of the various fast-food joints in the airport. Is my bag out there? What does it look like? It's just, um, a regular bag. Blue, black. I've had an accident. I need a change of clothes. Oh, there's a pause. Damn, man, that's messed up. Please? I hear sneakers scuffing on the tiles as he looks around. The door to the bathroom swings open and shut, squeaking on its hinges. While I wait, I survey the damage to my body. I touch my face drawing a sharp breath as I finger a massive bruise on my now-swollen cheek. And then there's the cuts on my gums, on my tongue, on the inside of my lips. I can taste fluid leaching from the wounds. My stomach turns. Shit, my stomach. I stand up and look at it. It pouts out. To an untrained observer, it may look like the beginnings of a beer belly, or maybe a symptom of one too many burritos. But, well... You know what the hell I'm talking about. I press it gently. It presses back. Like a baby kicking for the first time. Only, this isn't its first time. And it sure as hell isn't a baby. If anything, it's a father. No, mother. I recall the sensation of having eggs forced the wrong way up my food pipe. My spine chills. This it, man? The dude flops a backpack over the door. Is it mine? Hell no, but chances are I'll never see my belongings again, which were the only things I had left in the world. At this point, who cares? That's the one. Thanks. You left it on the seat outside. You should be careful, man. Now especially. Why now? Cops are swarming, dude. They ain't saying shit yet, but my girl works at Macca's and she overheard them talking about an attack. Could be a terrorist plot or something. I don't know. Hey, but be careful. Will do. Thank you. All good. I leave the bathroom ten minutes later. I do not look inconspicuous, but neither do I look particularly suspicious either. Picture this. An XL Hawaiian shirt, bursting with multicolored parrots and flowers. The world's shiniest pair of aviator shades. Khaki shorts, and an impressively naff combination of socks and sandals. I am hidden in plain sight. Or I must be, because I make it out of the airport. Somehow, I am beyond the barrier of customs. That kid was right. It's a hive of activity back there. The flight information screens are blinking messes, alerting passengers that every flight is either canceled or rerouted. Angry men scream at anxious airline employees. Children cry. Old people bitch and moan. I slip into the first waiting taxi. Where to? Anywhere but here. Bondi, maybe, he says, eyeing my colorful attire in the mirror. You here on holiday, right? I can't help but laugh, a loud, high, maniacal laugh, completely unhinged, 
yet not lacking in joy either. Nah, I smile. I'm here for a funeral. Happy Halloween. He drives me away in silence. This has been Inside of Me by S. Elliot Brandis. Read by Jason Lavelle. I hope you enjoyed the story. If you want more crazy, disturbing fiction, get online and check out the latest Tales from the Canyons of the Damned. Every month there's a new issue, and every month is full of madness. Good night.